Hello, hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching, and we are here helping parents of highly sensitive kids end the meltdown cycle, stop or prevent suicidal behavior for their highly sensitive children. And the way we do that is by helping you shift the way that you parent your child. Now, with that being said, you guys know the drill. If you're watching this live, say hi. Let me know that you're here, and then if you're catching this on the replay, definitely hashtag replay. So um, I want to make sure that I can share this to the group. I forgot to do that ahead of time. And we'll get rocking. Okay, so those who are here, say hello. Now, I want to talk about the six coping potholes that you'll be experiencing now in, um, in, I shared it, okay, good, sorry, distracted, that you guys are all likely experiencing parenting a highly sensitive child, especially if you're dealing with the daily meltdown cycle. So for those of you who are new to this group, new to this page, Again, Megan Thompson, and I've been working with parents of highly sensitive kids for over a decade at this point, and I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor, and I run a private practice in Maryland uh, where we specialize, my group practice specializes in working with highly sensitive kids and teens, especially the teens with suicidal or risky behaviors. So what we do and what we want to talk about is, is really getting clear. Oh, hi, Christine. Hello, hello. Nice to see you. Christine's rocking it with her two HSCs <laughs> a year out of boot camp. They are crushing it. Um, and, and I say that with, um, you know, with real fervor, <laughs> given where they came from. So um, let's, let's think about what we're talking about, guys. The, the, the coping potholes that you guys can get into as a parent of highly sensitive kids. And, and one of the things that we really talk about is uh, with parents is, is, is diving into the meltdown cycle and getting stuck, you know, getting clear on what your child is doing, right? One of the things that parents often want to talk about with us when we first get started or we, when we, we get on the phone is discussing their child's behaviors and what your child is doing. So Let's, let's kind of um, wrap up what the meltdown cycle looks for you, looks like for you. This might be daily meltdowns where your child is just screaming, yelling, hitting, kicking on a daily basis, pushing their siblings, calling you names, saying things like they hate you or, or they think that you hate them or worse. Um, I know life would be better off without me or some version of that. And when we think about hearing that from your child on a daily basis, uh, even multiple times a week basis, let alone some of you multiple times a day basis, there are going to be some coping skills that you're going to de develop as a parent that are not going to be effective and that are going to be perpetuating the problem. So that's what we're going to be breaking down today. So one of the things that I definitely want to, to speak about and why this is so important is, is because as parents, especially those of you who are churning through all of the videos, Googling, etc., Google can be your best friend and your worst enemy in trying to solve this problem because it can leave you stuck. But um, one of the things that we know to be true is that you're paying attention to your child's needs and how you're responding, but you might not be super focused on where you are in the tornado. There could be dueling tornadoes at times. I don't even know if I'm demonstrating that properly with my hand-eye coordination or my gross motor skills here. But um, 
when when you're stuck in your own tornado as a parent, it, it can feel very difficult for you to help your child get out of their own meltdown tornado. And that's what we're talking about today. Um, and, and so meltdowns don't always look like your child throwing their body on the floor, screaming. It could be frequent outbursts where you're walking on eggshells. Um, and it could also be uh, just constant frustration where your child is raging and yelling all the time. And, and so that obviously takes a toll on you as a parent. It weighs on you and your mind, your body, and your soul. And uh, when that happens... We see you fry out and burn out in all sorts of different ways. So I want to talk about that today. So the first coping pothole that we see parents get stuck in is something that, that is probably quite familiar to many of you, or you might have a spouse in the mix who does a lot of this. And this is compartmentalization. So what I mean by that is looking at one incident as a cut and dry single issue. We'll talk about how this can com compound with multiple potholes um, in in a moment. And actually what I'll probably do for visual sake is make that a double header here. Um, and, and so when we think about what's going on with compartmentalization, we can, we can often see one parent look at every inc instance or every incident, take it, deal with it, you know, solve the problem, go into fix-it mode, and move on. Um, next problem, go into solve the problem mode, and move on. Never being able to look at the big picture or how to get out ahead of it. So that's one way to compartmentalize. Another way to compartmentalize is to literally emotionally shut off from your child's emotions and, um, and, and basically separate yourself from the circumstance. Now, many of our, our, our clients are in the helping profession. Um, so what that means is that this is a, a pretty go-to strategy for the people that we work with. And, and we see this pretty often. It can serve you well in your career. Um, this could be you know, people who are teachers, doctors, professors, therapists, obviously, um, uh, testing psychologists, nurses, um, and, I think I said them all in terms of the, the major um, gamut within which we, we work uh, for those who, who are in the helping profession. And in the helping profession, you see a lot of difficult things and you deal with a lot of difficult things in, on a daily basis. And so you need to know how to turn your brain off. Um, this is also true for anybody else who works in a, a business where there's a panic button. <laughs> so you can see that in, in any profession, really. But when, when it comes to your kid, compartmentalization is really, really damaging to your relationship for, for, to your child. And so we want to recognize that that it will not serve you if, if this continues. So what happens when we see this, especially in two-parent households? Um, one parent is basically, quote-unquote, over it, over the experience. When another parent, the meltdown experience, when another parent is stuck basically cleaning up the emotional meltdown dust, the pieces, picking up the pieces. And so what happens is you get this, um, this imbalance of power, if you will, where one parent is done and has moved on with their day and, and is taking care of the next thing in, in line um, on the to-do list or in the family's dynamic or the family's priorities, right? So it's not like a, a, this parent isn't selfish. It's just a coping skill. And, and then the other parent is like, how can you focus on XYZ when our kid literally just turned emotionally the house upside down? 
And so in two in a two parent household, this can really create an at heads or an at war experience when one parent is dealing with this pothole. Um, and, and uh, you know, that might have served them really well in their career and in other circumstances or, or in their family life growing up as kids. Um, you know, being able to turn off emotion or turn off the emotional experience um, after it's over, after you're, um, after you're out of it. And so what, what parents think this does, it allows them to look at these circumstances objectively. It allows them to, you know, strategically solve the problem. But what they're not noticing, what we see our parents um, forego in that coping strategy is being able to see the forest for the trees. You'll be able to see how this reacting in that moment and trying to solve the problem in that moment is going to lead to further problems down the line. So um, this can look like, um, you know, punishing or threatening for whatever reason. You know, if you don't do this, then I'm going to take away that. Um, not, not, I'm not talking about threatening with, um, you know, physical punishment, though that might happen. Um, oftentimes the parents who are, who are following us and, and are, are watching our videos are, are not doing that or they know that when they do that it's very rare and they regret it immediately. Um, and so, and they want to get out of that immediately. But what I'm talking about in terms of threatening is like threatening to take away stuff, threatening to solve the problem um, right now, stop the crying, stop the behavior, stop the hitting. Um, and, and that sort of compartmentalization of being able to close off and take the new situation as a new, oftentimes we hear parents say, well, you know, I just, you know, get rid of my emotion quickly. So um, that's a skill of mine. Uh, when we usually see is, is what, what is more frequent, which is um, related to another pothole we'll talk about later, is uh, basically you're putting the lid on a boiling pot because it's served you well to lock it, lock it down. Um, your, your emotional experience as a parent and um, that served you well either in your childhood or in your career or in other personal relationships prior to parenting but right now that doesn't work. Um, the next thing that we talk about which is related these can all compound and you can see many potholes in, in a parenting experience. Um, the next thing is reacting. So the reacting that I'm talking about is in this example um, in number two is solving the problem in the moment and trying to go into fix-it mode. And we talk about this a lot with my clients because when you're going into fix-it mode, you're not looking at the forest for the trees. You're trying to solve the problem. Hi, Paula. Good to see you here. Um, and trying to see that, you know, move the move mountains in the moment for your child. But the other part of reacting is looking at this current situation, this current emotional experience, whatever frustrating thing that your kid is currently being triggered as a crisis. And so that reactivity gets you in survival mode. Um, and, and this is one of the things that, that, you know, in terms of when we address this with parents and we work with, we, we start to, to change the way that you're looking at your child's needs and, and how you lead them out of their intense emotions. Because when you're, looking at your child's intense emotions as a crisis that needs to be solved, then again, you're still stuck in the same position of feeling like your child depends upon you to solve their problems when you need your child to creatively solve their problems because otherwise they'll be continuously looking to you to be the solution and then they'll never solve their problems creatively. They'll only blow up or not ask for help. Those are the basic, basically, to boil it down, two ways that highly sensitive kids 
try to solve their problems before um, before the meltdown cycle is solved um, and, and eliminated. And so when we see this trap the parents get into, the pothole that we see, um, the, the reactiveness, it, it looks like, you know, my child is dealing with, um, you know, a... a um, you know, right now they won't wear jeans. How do I get them out of wearing jeans? They're melting down wearing jeans. Um, and then the next, you know, so then you find fancy pants that are comfortable or you get them into Under Armour, which is like the uniform for highly sensitive children. And then they melt down over some other part of the morning routine. And then you're like, now my kid, okay, we solved that problem. Now my kid won't brush their teeth. Or now my kid won't, let's stop talking sensory, now my kid won't get ready for school because they're worried about what their teacher's going to say at school. Now, um, obviously in a pandemic, it's less concerning that your kid is wearing denim or not. You're happy if they're just rolling out of bed and showing up to the Zoom call. But some of you who are watching are still having your kids go to either daycare or... Um, <laughs> sorry, my husband's outside with... Uh, my daughter and um, his friend and their kid, and they're doing dad stuff. <laughs> it's not the way that my me and my friend play with our kids. <laughs> so it's a little distracting. Um, so lots more rough and tumble than what I'm you know used to seeing out of the corner of my eye. So anyways, um, what's going on at, at this point when you're dealing with reactivity, is that your your child is is stuck in the moment of feeling like they can't solve the problem until you come up with a solution, right? So it's still that same fix-it mode that we help our families get out of. And, and uh, again, looking at the bigger picture of you want your child to develop creative solutions um, to their own problems, they can't do that if you're looking at the, the minuscule pieces of their day and just trying to solve the next thing on the list. Um, flavor of the week, if you will, to call it blunt. Um, and, and so that's one thing that we see often in parents who go to therapy for with their highly sensitive child, uh, especially if the therapist is having you update them of, of you know, how things are going that week. Um, this reactivity mode can actually be perpetuated by mental health therapy uh, in the sense that you're only working on what's going on in that moment if the provider or the professional doesn't have a system to eliminate the problem in the first place, uh, get through the root cause and, and build a foundation to, of skills that your child's missing, then a lot of the work is, is reactive as well. Um, just trying to solve the problem, talk about how to get ready in the morning as, as the main focus of the session, uh, rather than big picture and, and, and developing skills like managing disappointment or frustration, regardless of whatever their worry is. Um, because those are going to change because kids change. Kids grow and they have different worries at different times. They need to creatively solve any problem, any worry um, with support from you rather than it just feeling like you're fixing the thing at the moment, whatever the week, uh, the problem of the week is. And then next is, um, you know, in terms of the potholes and pothole number three is Pollyanna-ing. <laughs> I know that's not a word, so hence my winky face. Um, this is the, it's going to work out. My kid will, uh, mature out of this. I got to tell you guys, um, highly sensitive kids don't stop being highly sensitive with maturation. So what that means is that your child's not going to grow out of struggle 
with the four components of the highly sensitive personality trait if you don't lead them to build the skill. Um, you don't learn how to deal with something without learning the skill on how to deal with something. So you have to teach them that skill as a parent and help them learn to tolerate frustration and manage disappointment from a broader perspective um, to kind of compound what, what I was talking about with pothole number three, two, I'm not counting properly. Um, so Pollyanna-ing, we can see this in single parent households, double parent households, multiple parents, etc., cetera, um, or even especially with um, in-laws or you know caregivers, professionals will do this um, and perpetuate the problem. Um, teachers will do this and, and um, you know, or friends, your acquaintances, et cetera, that you're venting to. And so what we see is, you know, well, I know that they'll eventually solve the problem or they'll eventually be able to, um, you know, to figure this all out. My child will eventually learn to manage their disappointment. And I got to tell you that highly sensitive people can struggle for a lifetime without learning how to manage their disappointment. And that's not a skill that you learn over time. Unless you experience major adversity and then seek help for that. So, you know, my question to you at this point is how much major adversity do you want your kid to learn in order to get kickstarted to develop that skill? Um, you know, that's really hard work. And at this point, you get to decide as a parent if you want to be the one putting in that hard work for them so that they don't have to do it later. Um, so many of you have heard my story, and hi, Tony. <laughs> She's pumping muscles over there too. Um, and and uh, one, you know, that that phrase in and of itself was was um, inspired by a parent who who got started with Tony in, in boot camp. She had a conversation with a parent whom whom we, you know, we celebrated um, their their shift in in the, the chaos that they're in. And that was the, the words that came out of, of their mouths in terms of making that, that decision. So those are not my powerful words. Um, but with that being said, knowing that, you know, you might perceive your kid to grow out of it, countless stories of your child not yet growing out of it. You know, if your kid's three and when they were two, they were experiencing daily meltdowns and there's three and they're experiencing daily meltdowns then you already have a year of experience of your child not growing out of it. If your kid's six and they're experiencing daily meltdowns and you've had two, three, four years of them not growing out of it, then my question to you is, how does six to seven look? You know, what are you seeing in the year six to seven that's going to be dramatic to shift out of that dynamic um, that'll put you, put you in a position where you feel, can feel certain that your child will shift out of this intensity? What are you doing differently as a parent? Um, to, to look beyond the current moment and beyond your fear um, that you'll never get out of it, which is what's perpetuating that process that your child will eventually grow out of it. Um, you know, we see this often, and, and I'll talk about this when we get to number one, two, three, four, five. I really should have labeled these. <laughs> we'll get to number five. Um, but since we're on number three, hiding in sugar plums and raindrops is a coping skill for you. You know, Parenting is not easy, and parenting a highly sensitive child is not intuitive for the majority of parents. 
Um, you might intuitively, especially if you're highly sensitive yourself, you might intuitively be able to understand where your child is coming from. But being able to intuitively change how you respond in a way that systematically stops the meltdown cycle, that's not something that people pick up um, without support and without direct systematic change in a pointed way. Um, you know, if you think about it, even just reading Dr. Aaron's book, uh, as I've, I've seen parents read that three times over and still say, you know, now what, um, the, the intuition of understanding that your child's highly sensitive doesn't mean that you'll develop the intuition to help your child pivot and bob and weave as they age with intense emotion, with intense behaviors and with intense life experiences. And so being able to, to, to make that shift requires you to take some drastic action, um, to change how you're parenting and to how, and to how you're responding. And so you can't do that with your head in the sand, um, by thinking that your kid's just going to eventually grow out of it. Um, I have a host of family members and um, decades worth of experience that say otherwise, and then also, you know, the research in terms of highly sensitive people and, and what works to help parents shift the dynamic in their household for their child, and the fact that you as a parent have to change that dynamic in the household for your child to grow out of it speaks to the contrary. So um, you have to remember that when you're using cliches, like my kid will grow out of it, um, to solve the problem, you have to remember who that cliche was built for. And that cliche was built for the non-highly sensitive population. So um, the other 80% of the population might be able to use that cliche and effectively assuage their fears. But it's not going to work for you as a parent of a highly sensitive child. And so um, you got you to gotta shift out of that pretty quickly. Um, the next coping skill that we see parents stay stuck in is anger. And, um, you know, when we talk about reactivity and, and that being number two, um, anger is a, anger is a coping skill. You can get really angry when you're, when your child is frustrated and stuck. And that can work really well for you in the moment as a parent to stop the screaming, um, by screaming louder or yelling louder or huffing and puffing or shutting down out of anger. And, and getting out of the situation, giving your kid the cold shoulder, etc. cetera. Uh, but it obviously is so tiring to be in that position, draining and uh, frustrating, to, to and it perpetuates itself. So it's definitely a pothole. We, we have to put that in that position, uh, put that in the category of it, of it keeping you stuck and misaligning you. So I know nothing about cars, <laughs> um, so I'm only going to speak to that metaphor a little bit. <laughs> but I do know for certain that when I was a teenager, and I was a shoom, let's go really fast uh, driver, I would hit lots of potholes and you know slam on the brakes and wore down the brakes on on my car and, and needing to replace them way earlier than necessary um, because my dad. Um, Mr. Safety replaced the brakes when we got the car, um, and, you know, when we got the car for me, and it, I tore through, I think, a couple of brake pads, um, just being a, a speeder growing up, and I know for certain that that also affected the alignment of the car. Now, taking it to the shop, I had to have that stuff translated to me. 
but um, and I can fit all the stereotypes related to that. But um, what I can say for certain, for any of you who drive cars or has, has a license, when you are going too fast and then you put the brakes on um, with anger, you are perpetuating the cycle and you're going to, you're going to screw up the transmission. You're going to screw up the, um, the shocks. You're going to screw up all sorts of pieces of the car. I'm not going to keep naming things that I know are interchangeable. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> um, and, and so when you're mad and you're a big old fireball in your house, it is a pothole because you're teaching your kid to do the same thing that you don't want them to do. And they're exploding too, right? So you got to get out of that. Um, and and uh, you know that because it doesn't feel good in your body. It doesn't feel good in your brain. It doesn't feel good on your day-to-day -day basis to be with a hairpin trigger. And it doesn't feel good for your kid either. This is speaking from experience years ago, being a sibling of a highly sensitive child, um, I learned very early that we handled emotion with big explosion. And, um, and that was something that, that was a lesson that was perpetuated in my household in my, you know, growing up. And, um, then I was told I was in trouble for it. So it was a self-fulfilling prophecy and a, a never ending cycle, just circling the drain of, of frustration that I had to deal with and work through personally over many, many years of, um, of really hard work. Um, and that's part of the reason why I do what I do. So when we think about this and, and, and making, making your, helping yourself shift out of it, the other piece about that is, is the shame that you can experience as a parent. You know, how did I get us here? Or it's all my fault. And this is another pothole that you need to shift out of as a parent because when your child, who's highly sensitive and, and has a higher propensity to experience shame just by nature of being highly sensitive, you need to build a skill to get out of that pothole too. And you need to bob and weave and, and stop using that as a coping skill. And I say coping skill because for you it's automatic. And um, spinning in that way makes you feel like you're doing something about it. Um, truth bomb right here. If shame is your go-to emotion, part of the thought process you might be having in your head is that that's actually helping you solve the problem. Um, if you feel like a crappy parent if you've made mistakes and um, you feel like a crappy parent and therefore that helps you want to do better next time or do differently next time, you might be teaching yourself that it's important to feel like a crappy parent in order to get your kid out of this mess. And I got to tell you, that's not going to be where you can solve the problem from. Um, one of the things that I teach my staff often is that you can't circle the drain and look down the toilet bowl um, and also get yourself out of the toilet bowl. So um, you have to look up towards hope, towards optimism, towards a hand reaching to help you out of there. Um, and so if you're telling yourself you're a crappy parent, literally and figuratively, then you're looking down into the toilet bowl of where the crap belongs. Pardon my French at this point. Now we're talking potty talk. Um, but you guys are parents of highly sensitive kids. And so you hear all sorts of things coming out of your kid's mouth. Um, so I know I'm not, uh, I'm not, um, you know, speaking out of turn. And so when that's, 
relevant, what you're, what you're experiencing at this point is focusing on that shame and staying stuck in, in that shame is the hardest part of getting out of it. And this is why we offer world-class mental uh, mindset support for our clients, because it's not just about knowing what to do in the moment. It's about reaching outside of yourself to actually do it. And you can't do that if you feel like a piece of shit. And neither can your kid. So, um, you know, we see lots of parents use this as a coping strategy. They can use this as a coping strategy to shame themselves. They can use this as a coping strategy to shame their kid. Um, they can use that as a coping strategy to shame us. How dare you, um, you know, teach us in this way, you should be telling us what to do in a different way. I don't know. Shame can be um, a coping strategy in all sorts of different ways, as many of you perhaps were parented through shame. Um, I know for me, that was definitely something that was a strategy that was much more popular growing up um, when my parents were parenting. In a, and, and so um, it, it was deemed effective, but you can't parent through shame and affect change because, again, um, you can't get out of the toilet bowl if you're circling the drain uh, and focused on looking down. So um, the next part about this, guys, is in, in the last piece, which is super relevant, is skepticism. And that is the coping strategy that has served you well in the sense that if you are walking on eggshells on a daily basis, you don't know when things are going to go well for you. And so you have to be on your toes. Um, and, and that strategy in and of itself might have served you well in other avenues of life. might have served you well in trusting adults as growing up. It might have served you well in... Um, you know, in keeping yourself safe in career moves, it might have served you well and keep yourself safe in relationships and adult relationships. But in parenting, skepticism that your child can live a non-miserable life is not going to serve you. And that's why we call it a pothole. Um, it's going to keep you moving on a really bumpy road and you'll never be able to pave pave that road if you stay stuck in your skepticism. One thing I say often to parents is that skepticism will impede your progress. So um, while it, it might be necessary in different avenues of life, um, trusting that things work out well for you and having more faith in the future that you want to create than in the fact that you have a past where nothing worked well or a lot of things didn't work out um, is, is where you need to be focused and having more faith in that is where you need to be focused. Because if you don't focus on that, then you will continue to stay stuck because you'll, you'll focus on feeling frustrated and feel more, feeling more like nothing will ever work. And that this is too good to be true, to have a life where your child feels like life is worth living. Um, than it is to, um, to, to really get yourself out of it and to do the work that it takes to get yourself out of it. So when we think about what that looks like on a daily basis for parents, um, one of the things that we know is that parents can, can often feel stuck in even believing that, um, that the meltdown cycle is just that, a, a cycle that's ir irrelevant and can be irrelevant for your family. 
Um, and, and I think that's super important because when we think about what's normal, what's not, one of the things that we often hear from parents when we talk to them on the phone is like, you know, you keep telling me that this is a problem that can be fixed, but like, I thought highly sensitive kids were supposed to melt down. They were supposed to be, supposed to be emotionally reactive. But emotionally reactive does not mean ex emotionally explosive. And emotionally reactive does not mean um, emotionally out of control. You can experience emotions and react to them internally, but then pivot immediately. Um, I just realized that I don't think I ever hooked my, my headphones up and now they're making noises that they're dying. And uh, they're not even in. <laughs> to the computer. So I'm going to pull those out of my ears. Um, that's better. No more alerts. Um, so what, what happens in this respect regarding the skepticism for a lot of parents is that you stay frustrated and, um, and you don't stretch out of your comfort zone to do new things because you're constantly focused on what happened in the past. So I got to tell you, one of the things that's super important about shifting out of these six potholes, because that's part of the reason why you're watching, right, is the understanding, and the, the parents that we work with, they understand this, is that you can't climb out of a bottomless pit. It's never ending, right? So when we think about those six potholes, compartmentalization, reacting, Pollyanna-ing, being stuck in anger, getting stuck in shame and self-blame and skepticism when your child is needing you in their intense emotion and they are melting down and you're stuck in a pit, you can't crawl out to then help them crawl out of their own. So you have to focus on how you manage mentally your child's emotions and you have to build the skill that you can turn on a dime from upset to not upset. Not because you're stuffing your emotions. Not because you are, you know, literally putting a jack-in-the-box back in the box. Um, or worse, um, you know, putting the lid on a boiling pot so then it just, you know, bubbles over. But literally knowing how to dissipate your emotion in the moment so that you don't respond to your child out of fear out of fear that you can't solve it, out of fear that this will never end, out of fear that your child will end up like this forever, out of fear that you'll never be able to get them out of this, and out of fear that if you don't respond now, they'll explode and you won't be able to clean up the pieces later. If you don't stop that fear in yourself, then how can you expect to stop your child's fear? and help your child stop their own fear later on. Um, that requires muscles, lots of exercise mentally to shift that problem. And I got, and, um, you know, self care isn't, isn't going to do it. Um, you need to be able to, to exercise your mind in a way that doesn't require you to go to yoga just to, you know, remember that yoga is going to come on, on, you know, Tuesdays at four or whatever is in your schedule, Tuesdays at seven, whatever. Um, once a week or exercise on a daily basis, whatever, that's not the mental exercise that I'm talking about. I'm talking about being able to know that when your child is increasing their emotion, 
you can stay steady, not just because you love them, but also, and you don't want to yell, but also because you know that the next thing that you need on the tip of your tongue isn't going to show up if you're not emotionally in the state within which you want your child to be. So if this feels frustrating, you haven't been able to get there, or if you're wondering whether or not you can do that on your own, or you've been trying all the self-care things like, you know, meditating or trying to, um, you know, use affirmations that you'll be, have a different day or, you know, learning that your child is, is, um, needs your love and, um, that they're going to grow out of it and telling yourself all of these things that you've been telling yourself with, with all the pit, pitfalls and potholes that we've talked about today. And, and you're still stuck and you still need support in, in getting out of it. Then I encourage you to book a call because, what we don't know is whether or not we can help you and what advice would make sense in your current situation until we talk to you on where you're at. Because some families are in all six of these potholes on a daily basis. Other families are in just one, but it's astronomical. Um, some families experience them once every couple of weeks, and maybe it's not that bad for them to solve just yet. Um, or they can get themselves out of it and, and a couple of resources would be all they need in that moment. Um, and, and so without that information, we can't help you solve the problem in knowing exactly what's going to be effective to prescribe for your family. And, um, you know, knowing that you need that direction, you need a tailored direction in that respect is the reason why we do the call. Because we don't know if we can help you until we get on the phone, until we get a clear picture on what you're dealing with, and whether or not those pitfalls are something that you're ready to get out of now, um, or you need more support in knowing how to do that before you can um, take action on that. And, and that sometimes requires us to, to speak about it and, and to help you shift that mindset So um, and, and or give you action steps to take care of first. So... That's why we do the call, and it's why we're happy to have that conversation with plenty of people, um, regardless of whether or not we're a fit to work with you or not. So knowing that, I encourage you to go to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash talk and book a call to see if that we can help you, see if boot camp's right for you and, and if the services that we provide is a proper fit. And if we do, then we'll, we'll, we'll share with you how that works and how it would be relevant for your particular and unique family. And if not, then we'll steer you in the direction of what's going to work instead. Because I can tell you at this point, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that out of those six potholes, the potholes that we didn't address because they're not potholes, they are crash building holes, they are sinkholes. Um, that's resentment and that's apathy. And if you let those six potholes fester, the road does separate. You, know, uh, you need the infrastructure in your own mind to manage that intensity in order to help your child manage the intensity for themselves because there is a tipping point where it's too far gone for us to support you. And that's why we help you see that on the call if it's relevant. So, um, and, um, and, and so that's what we have for you at this point tonight. All right, guys. So again, you know the link, meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash talk reach out for support as needed. And um, I will pop it here before we finish up today. 
look forward to hearing from you and uh, make it a great day. Okay. Here we go. There's the link. Talk soon. Bye.